0: So, last time, we did look at uh, the previous couple of verses in Hebrews 3. Um, That was actually a while ago now. I I needed to kind of go over it again, and and I'm sure you will as well, um, because there were some concepts in there that I thought needed some going over anyway. So, last time, uh, we were looking at, uh, as I said, the previous few verses in, in Hebrews Hebrews 3. we we'll look briefly at the Exodus generation. first part of Hebrews 3 um, he, he begins talking about Moses, that Christ is superior to Moses and he uses the example of the Exodus generation to, to, to explain that. He uses it as a, an example or a type of the Christian life. And the actual Exodus from Egypt is a type of salvation and I think we understand all this at And that type is used in other places as well. Uh, You know, we're redeemed from slavery to sin. And then we have the the journey from the from Egypt to the promised land uh, as being a type of the Christian life, and that's what he's doing here in Hebrews three. In Hebrews three verse eight, we see uh, the day of temptation mentioned. It says "I heart not your hearts is in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. And of course, we know, that's one of the things we looked at last time was this uh, watershed moment in the nation of Israel when when they left Egypt. They came to this moment where they had to make a big choice, didn't they? And we all are aware of that situation that happened when the the 12 spies went into Canaan and there was 10 that brought back an evil report of the land and only 2 brought back a good report. And the nation was faced with this critical moment where they had to make a decision as to what they would do. And of course we know what they chose. As a result of this choice, and that's found in Numbers 14, the nation was doomed to wander aimlessly for 40 years, until that generation that um, refused to believe died. There were some who chose to believe and who were able to enter the Promised Land eventually. Eventually, uh, you know Joshua, Caleb, those under 20 they were able to enter the, the, the land uh, for them the victory over the enemy was uh, promised it was uh, assured to them that if they obeyed God that they would have victory okay, and they did, we see that in, in later chapters in, uh, especially in Joshua and so there are two types of Christians that we see here as, as a result of these types that we that we find here in in Hebrews, uh, there's th- those who waver and fail to believe God. They um, they doubt God, and and that's what he's getting at here in, in chapter three. Uh, there's doubt that creeps in. They they fail to progress in the Christian life, and so they're doomed, as it were, to aim to wander aimlessly, uh, like the Israelites did back in the Exodus. And there are those who are victorious because of their continual faith. They enter the promised land, as it were. Um, they have the victory in the Lord. And I think this is all fairly clear to us, and I thought I'd revise this, even though we, we, we probably already knew this, um, these things. But there is one thing that I wanted to go over again, and that's this concept of rest that we find uh, and it's int- actually introduced in Hebrews 3.11 it says, so I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest and we briefly looked at it last time uh, what, what this actually means so I'll, I just want to spend a little bit of time as as we begin tonight on, on this concept of rest it's important because uh, he uses, a, this is the first time here in 3.11 he uses it a few times in this chapter and then chapter 4 <coughs> is is largely about this this uh, thing called rest. So we need to know what it is uh, before we can understand the rest of the, uh, the book. Here in chapter 3, the rest refers to the, the land of Canaan. So it, it, the immediate context of that quote is that the, the the nation of Israel would not be able to enter Canaan. That's referred to as, as the rest there. The rest of the land of Canaan. Uh, there were Promised a peaceful, prosperous home a land of rest from the slavery that they had experienced in Egypt and um, from the wilderness wanderings however and and, and that's fine, that's very clear that that refers to the land of Canaan for the Israelites but what does it refer to how does it relate to us as Christians this is the problem that we find when we're trying to interpret the book of Hebrews what is the rest for us today and, and if you read uh, books and commentaries about the book of Hebrews, you'll find various different interpretations about this, um, some of which are better than others. And, and so uh, we need to understand what this concept of rest means. Now, we know that as Christians, our life is a struggle. Okay? It's, a, it's a fight. Uh, we are to be sober and vigilant uh, against our enemy, the devil. Uh, we are to put on the whole armour of God. That's what these things were commanded to do. Uh, we're reminded that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the falling down of strongholds. Now, that doesn't sound like rest to me. Um, it's my experience that the Christian life is one of constant warfare, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. There is no rest for the Christian Uh, In this life, you know, while we're alive here on this earth now, there's no rest. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, physically, we we rest when we sleep. Uh, As as Christians, we we don't have that luxury. We can't sleep. We're we're commanded various times not to fall asleep, not to not not to uh, you know be sleepy, but to be uh, awake, to be vigilant, um, and to keep watch. Now, following this line of thought from the Exodus generation, the Christian life ought to be like the nation of Israel as it entered the promised land. Like Joshua and Caleb. That's what the Christian life ought to be like for us today. Uh, As soon as the Israelites entered the promised land, the land of Canaan, uh, they began to conquer the Canaanites that inhabited the land. They pulled down the strongholds of cities like Jericho. Uh, There was a non-stop war for the generation of Joshua and Caleb. And so while the Christian today continues to trust God and believe in his word, um, there is no rest, there is this constant warfare. We're in this phase where where we're we're conquering, we're pulling down strongholds, we're, we're in this warfare, spiritual warfare not physical warfare but for the nation of Israel what, what happened after this stage of conquest of the land of Canaan okay, they, so they, they, they were supposed to conquer and then they were supposed to have a time of rest that was God's plan for them and now, now that didn't happen straight away did it unfortunately after the, now the book of Joshua you get the book of what? Judges, Judges, Judges. Yeah, which is a mess as you know Okay, there's no, all these bad things happen. That wasn't supposed to happen, okay? That wasn't God's plan for Israel to, to have that. Then you get, um, you know, after, after the Judges period, then finally you get that King David coming along and he kind of tries to make things right and, and he's God's man there for the time being. But the real rest for the nation, and the only kind of period where there's no war and the nation is really prosperous is actually under David's son, King Solomon, isn't it? That, that kingdom phase is, is really what God intended for the nation of Israel. That's the real rest period that, that they get. And, um, and so for, to, to, to uh, bring that analogy across to us as Christians, okay? Uh, I hope our brains are working and we're, we're kind of making that connection already. Um, this rest is, is really a future concept for us. Okay, um, in the Lord's Prayer there's a clue we, we pray that the kingdom will come okay. and one day it will when Jesus returns uh, he says where to occupy until he comes in, in that parable the Lord Jesus in Luke 19.13 says occupy till I come doesn't say rest yeah. till I come does he it says occupy be busy do stuff be, be at war You know, put on the whole armour be vigilant, so forth. He, do, he doesn't say just relax, take it easy, enjoy life, eat, drink and be merry. No, he doesn't say that. He says occupy. Be busy about my work until I return. Until Christ returns, it will be unceasing spiritual warfare for the Christian. So our rest as Christians does not come until the kingdom of Christ comes to earth physically. Okay, We know that there's a spiritual kingdom that we're part of, but that's not here, that's not what we see around us at the moment. And so this rest period that, um, where that's being introduced here for the Christian is something future that we're preparing for right now. It's the final phase of our salvation, uh, the glorification of the believer. Uh, you might read some writers and, and, uh, and they refer to this as phase three salvation, phase the third phase of salvation. Uh, Phase 1 is the justification of the believer. Phase 2 is the sanctification of the believer. And phase 3 is the glorification of the believer. Okay, So there's a past, present and a future aspect to our salvation. Uh, Another way of looking at it, and you probably heard this, that that justification is uh, when we were saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, In sanctification right now, we're being saved from the power of sin, and in glorification future we will be saved from the presence of sin. Okay, so that's where all those all those things come together. And so this begins when our bodies are glorified. Which will happen when? At the rapture. Okay? Not when we die. <laughs> uh, when we die our bodies go into the ground and and, and get eaten by worms or whatever. Okay. So our bodies are not glorified when we die, but when when Christ returns, uh, we're changed. Uh, when you know those of us who are alive uh, will be taken up straight away, and those who are in the ground will be uh, resurrected with new bodies. The, the believers that um, uh, that are uh, dead at the Rapture, and so that's that's something that will happen in the future. Obviously, hopefully not too far into the future, we hope that it'll be soon, uh, but our bodies are glorified at the rapture of the church and, uh, c- and continuing through the Great Tribulation and the Second Coming. So that's when we enter that, that third phase of our salvation, the glorification of our body. And the millennial reign of Christ is where the glorified saints, that's us, uh, rule and reign with Christ, and this continues on into eternity with the new heaven and the new earth. Um, Pastor Jaworski talked about it last, uh, last week there. we talked about the, the heavenly city. I think he gave us a, a good uh, glimpse into that. Um, I thought that was very uh, useful for us to, to think about things like that. Um, because it makes it very real, doesn't it? Sometimes we, we only have a very vague understanding of what uh, you know, the eternal uh, state will be. But I think when we, when we talk about it in, in some detail... Even though there's a lot we don't know, it becomes very real to us and it helps us to put, it in, to put some of these things into practice. <coughs> so, that was just a bit of a, a review. And um, like I said, it's not going to be a very long message today. I'm trying to try and look at verse uh, 12 uh, very briefly. But I just wanted to go over these things to make sure that we understand it uh, so that we have in our minds as we as we go ahead in Hebrews what this concept of, of rest is talking about. Okay? It's talking about something future, um, but that what we do today has consequences into eternity as well. So that's something that we'll yeah, keep learning about. So, verse 12. So it starts with the words, uh, take heed, brethren. So the words take heed are a translation of the Greek phrase, uh, to look at. Okay, So it means to open your eyes, to look, to behold... Um, to be aware of something. Okay, and what we have to be aware of is our own heart. The reason is that we may have an evil heart of unbelief that we are hiding from ourselves and from others. Notice that this command is given to, to Christians, to believers. It says, Take heed, brethren. It's to us that it's, it's given. It's not to unbelievers who, are, who need the gospel and need to be saved, it's to believers. Okay, and that's a very stark reminder for us um, that there may be an evil heart of unbelief. Okay, this isn't talking about losing your salvation or anything like that, as we'll see. We may deceive ourselves into thinking that our heart is fine, yet in reality there is a lack of faith lurking within. Okay, please turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. It's probably a familiar passage but it's a a very good one to remind us of constantly. Jeremiah 17 verses 5 to 9 It's a great little passage. Jeremiah 17 5 to 9 says Thus saith the Lord Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart Departeth from the Lord For he shall be like the heath in the desert And shall not see when good cometh But shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness In a salt land and not inhabited Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord And whose hope the Lord is For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters And that spreadeth out her roots by the river And shall not see when heat cometh But her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. And here's a verse that I want us to notice The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Uh, If you read the the next verse, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. God is the only one that knows our hearts, really. Um, We can deceive ourselves. Into thinking that we're fine, uh, that there's nothing wrong with us, um, but the Lord knows our hearts. He, he searches our hearts. Um, he He knows what we need, what we're like at any given point in time. So we can deceive ourselves. James one, it also talks about this. So turn back to the book of James, James chapter one, uh, verses twenty two to twenty six. It also talks about that self-deception that we can fall into as Christians. James 1.22 But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Uh, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth, bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. I like that verse uh, in, in James one twenty six. Um, it says, any man among you, that's in the church, he's talking to Christians here again, um, is James. Any man among you that's can be any one of us seems to be religious, okay, has this veneer of of you know being a good person, going to church regularly, it says, but bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. We can deceive our own heart, brethren. We can think that we're doing fine, but in reality we're not. And so this is, uh, this is what the author of Hebrews is warning his readers about. In, in verse 11, the warning is uh, is the third... Sorry, in verse 12 of uh, Hebrews 3. It's actually the third uh, warning that's aimed at the heart of the Christian. At the heart of the reader of Hebrews. Hebrews. <clears throat> It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. If you notice in the, in the previous verses of the chapter, there's also the word heart said over and over again. first time is in, uh, in verse 8, where it talks about a hard heart. In verse 10, it talks about an erring heart. And in verse 11, it talks about an unbelieving heart. And uh, this seems to me, anyway, to provide an outline for how a person ends up departing from God. First, their heart is hardened. And uh, we've we've looked at this previously, but it's good for us to be reminded. Um, And and we see, uh, as we read on in this this chapter, verse 13, that we are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So not only is our heart deceitful, to us, okay, it lies to us, but sin is deceitful. Okay, and um, you know I think the two work in tandem: out a deceitful heart uh, and sin, by its nature of being deceitful, they kind of tag team to, to make us uh, fall into sin. And sin is deceitful because it is pleasurable. Okay, I know some people have trouble with this concept. They think sin is something awful. Why would we sin if it's a horrible thing? There's always some level of pleasure that is tagged on to sin. Sure, there may be bad consequences to that sin. Um, maybe you have to, you know, sometimes you have to go through the bad stuff before you get to the pleasure and then it gets even worse. Sometimes, um, you know, it's, it's, it's instant gratification versus delayed gratification that causes us to sin. But sin is deceitful because it is, it is pleasurable. Now, this does not mean that every pleasure is a sin, and I think Christians have gotten um, you know, into this trap in the past, where they think, "Oh no, no, you can't have any fun at all," and you know sometimes kids get that impression from us as parents that we're out to to just make their life miserable. Um, but in reality, that's not that's not what sin is all about either. Okay, um, and and God isn't some you know cosmic. Uh, killjoy, joy, as it were, that that's out to to, to make all fun <coughs> sinful. No, there are legitimate pleasures that God has given us, and and the good thing about those is that there's no negative consequences. But that's that's the thing about sin is that it's it's deceitful. It 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 deceives us by the pleasure that's put before us. And if we could only remember that uh, that. The, the pain as or the consequences of sin are are worse than the, the momentary pleasure that we gain from that sin we would probably never ever sin wouldn't but that's that's a really hard thing for us to to keep in our minds and that's why sin is deceitful um, again in, in the book of James we find this uh, this outline very well and um, if you do a study in James James 114, let turn briefly there. James one fourteen talks about this. It says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. We are tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust. And entice. So that's, that's the pleasure that sin places before us. We're, we're drawn away, we're enticed, and when we fall into that sin. So that's that's the deceit of sin. Our heart is deceitful, our sin is deceitful, it leads us astray. And so this leads us to the second part, the erring heart. That word translated as err in verse 8 of Hebrews 3 is the verb to wander. This is a common theme in the New Testament. Those who are blown about by every wind of doctrine, they're, you know, they're, they're wandering. The, the double-minded, unstable man in the book of James, uh, those who are wavering and tossed about. Uh, these people, there's this picture of instability, of, of you know, wandering, of slipping away. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, we have the picture of our, our own faith slipping away as of a boat that is not more drifting away with the tides. And so it brings us uh, very nicely to the, to the picture of the nation of Israel wandering in the desert. Not because they're lost, uh, but because their hearts have wandered away from God. So too, the believer can have a heart that wanders from God. And that's what he's getting at here. Uh, because of sin, uh, we're, we're, we're deceived and we end up wandering away from God. Okay? Um, um, our minds uh, are not focused upon the Lord we're, we're just wandering and that's the second step in this picture that we see here so the first step is uh, you know, this heart that's deceived then a heart that's erring and finally we get the unbelieving heart the believer who departs from the living God and that's what we're looking at here in Hebrews 3.12 this departure from God uh, is the end result and the word here is uh, the word where we get um, apostasy from. When we hear the word apostasy or apostate, it's a word that's loaded with meaning. And it might bring to mind notable apostates who publicly renounce Christianity. And you might have heard of someone who was once a famous Christian and did all these great things and now they've renounced the Lord Jesus Christ. They're, they're an atheist or or whatever, an ag- agnostic um, there might be some false teacher who is uh, still calls themselves a Christian but is teaching horrible um, heresy uh, there's certainly some uh, around today who, who are doing that and we call them apostates don't we we think oh those people are apostates uh, there, there's, no one, there, there's no way that I could become an apostate like that but the word simply means um, to, to depart from Okay. It, it doesn't just mean someone who does this publicly, it publicly, it means someone who simply departs from their stance as a Christian uh, away from God. It could even mean someone who still attends church regularly, but doesn't really take much notice. So there, there might be someone who's uh, apostatizing in their mind, who, who comes along to church, but doesn't believe anything that, that's been taught in the Bible. So in order to prevent this from happening to us and to others, uh, we need to be vigilant. That's what uh, the command is here in uh, Hebrews 3.12. Take heed, brethren. That means to be vigilant. To take heed means to open our eyes to the truth that this may happen or may be happening to us. It is a real possibility. Now the next verse in Hebrews um deals with uh, how we respond if we see it in someone else. Um, you know, we're to exhort one another daily. And um, so even if we uh, do not realise or are in denial, we may be in denial that we're wandering away from God, someone else may tell us. Okay, That's that's our job as Christians is to, to exhort one another. Uh, to help one another if we do see someone who's wandering. Okay, so someone may tap us on the shoulder one day and say, hey brother, I think you you might be walking away from the Lord. And that that's a very, uh, that would be a very sobering thing to hear, wouldn't it? Uh, probably our pride would take a hit. Uh, we might feel angry. Who's this person to tell me that I'm wandering away from the Lord? I'm doing fine. But, you know, uh, it's, we need uh, we need to be vigilant. Either way, even if we do realise that ourselves, and hopefully that's the case, um, that would be ideal if we uh, if we do realise that perhaps we are wandering away from the Lord. The solution is to repent and to get back on track. And God is always ready to receive us when we come back to Him. And uh, that's something that we always need to keep in mind. When, when we find these, uh, these warnings in Scripture of the, the consequences uh, of disobeying God, of, of uh, walking away from the Lord, of stopping um, uh, believing in Him and, and stopping believing in His Word, we need to remember that God is very gracious to us. Okay? God is always ready to receive You know, when when I think of the story of the prodigal son, um, you know, we we tend to think of it as um, you know someone who's lost and gets saved. I think it actually relates more to a sinner, uh, sorry, to a Christian who wanders away from the Lord and then comes back. I think it has a a lot more parallel to that to that situation, personally. Um, And if you think about that story, the prodigal he didn't just wander a little little way from home, did he? No, he he went completely. Far away. He went into a far country. You know, he was his father was dead to him and vice so his his father probably thought his son had died. Okay. There there was a complete cut off from him. Okay. And uh, you know when the prodigal finally realized, when he finally came to himself I like the words that they use in, in, that, in that parable he comes to himself it's, he, it's almost like he regains his sanity realises what he's done and walks back and not expecting much but of course the father is there with open arms ready to receive him and so we need to remember that um, that you know there, there's uh, you know there, there's things that we can lose by wandering away from God but we can never lose uh, the love of God that he's ready to receive us um, when we do come back so we need to repent that's the thing. We need to repent. We need to confess our sins regularly when we realise that this has been happening to us. And we need to be gracious to other people who are also in this uh, uh, in this state as well. We're to treat them how God treats us, how we're not to uh, alienate people further. So that's just a, a, a short message. Actually, it turned out to be a bit longer than I thought. Um, we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless us as we go on.